Hi, this is Michelle Sherman, president of Mishorex Pharmacist Consulting Services and the host of the Conscious Pharmacist podcast. As far back as I can remember growing up in South Africa, one thing was always obvious to me. It was something that emanated from my soul, if you will. It was the knowing that all human beings are created equal, that we are all the same. The Conscious Pharmacist podcast is proud to be a podcast on the Pharmacy Podcast Network and is a show for pharmacist healthcare providers who have answered the call to practicing on purpose. Being conscious brings to light disparities and injustices in our society and healthcare system. Our show strives to bring to the forefront these issues we face today in a changing healthcare landscape and how we can change lives one patient at a time. As pharmacists, we do what matters, how we practice what matters, and how we take care of patients matters. Be conscious. Speak out. Every voice matters. Be the change you wish to see in the world. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. According to the National Community Association Pharmacists Association, or NCPA, community pharmacists are highly accessible healthcare professionals, and 95% of Americans live within just five miles of the pharmacy. And what APHA, or American Pharmacists Association, which is the largest association of pharmacists in the U.S. is doing, is laser focusing on getting provider status for pharmacists. So why is that even important when it comes to PGX as this is a PGX podcast? Well, that way pharmacists can actually order the PGX test when they see fit for their patients without the need for a clinician to sign that form. Hi, everyone. My name is Vanessa Rami, the host to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the most amazing, largest pharmacy podcast in the nation and one of the top 20 podcasts in genomics globally. If this is the first time you're tuning in, I'm the MSL to a PGX company called ID Genetics, where I develop clinical contents, educating clinicians on the value of PGX and help interpret the report. I'm also a PGX coach, helping pharmacists start up their consulting career. I'm very honored to have with me a very special guest, Dr. Scott Knower, who became the 13th Executive Vice President and CEO of APHA in June 2020, after serving for nine years as the Chief Pharmacy Officer at the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Knower is a passionate advocate for patients and, of course, the profession of pharmacy, and for that, we appreciate him. He has successfully lobbied boards of pharmacy in Ohio and Minnesota so that pharmacy practice could advance. He also led initiatives that changed Ohio and federal law related to the elevation of pharmacy practice and reducing the impact of drug shortage. Again, thank you, Dr. Knorr, for doing all that you do and also spending your valuable time with us today. Absolutely, Benaz. It's a pleasure uh, to be here and 
First of all, thank you for uh, uh, pronouncing my name right. You know, most people don't, so you, you scored right off the bat. I actually had to YouTube that and look that up and couple two different sources to make sure. I was but thank you. I'll take that. I always wondered why you pronounced the K until I lived in Germany, and then everyone's like, "Oh, guten Tag, Herr Kanai." I was like, "Ah, oh, it's German. <laughs> that makes sense." But you know, just right off the bat, I know you got questions here. That you know, the provider status is so interrelated to really everything uh, we need to do as far as uh, moving the profession forward. And just like we need to get paid for, you know, helping manage my mom's diabetes or hypertension, uh, we have the same hurdles here, like you just mentioned. So pharmacists, uh, if we we're providers, we could order tests, you know, sort of test and treat. And the other thing is, just like uh, provider status, uh, Benaz, one of the problems is, you know, you have to, you got to get it approved like we did for Medicaid in Ohio, but then you have to get insurers to pay. And that's another problem, right? In, in uh, pharmacogenomics, we need insurance companies to pay for these tests and, and see the value. So the parallels are all over the place between our broader push and how that interrelates here with pharmacogenomics. Perfect. Yes, I know. Uh, we know that APHS has always been committed to advocacy, but can you tell us what makes advocacy, like you just talked about, uh, so critical more than ever and why that's so important now? Well, I, I'll tell you, we've got real world examples, you know, and clearly we have uh, a bill introduced. I think folks, uh, a lot of folks know about it for uh, pharmacists in underserved areas to make us uh, uh, eligible providers under Medicare, which we aren't, although physicians, nurse practitioners, audiologists, and nurse midwives can get paid for their services. We can't. But, you know, that's the stuff people see, the, the laws, and we're certainly trying to do that. But if it were not for the advocacy of APHA and other organizations, uh, the things we got in the PREP Act would not have happened. So all, all the things that Health and Human Services said we could do, like immunize pediatric patients regardless of state law, uh, would not have happened if we were not in, in direct contact with Health and Human Services. Well, I've spoken personally uh, with Secretary Becerra of Health and Human Services uh, twice last month, you know, and, and we're also advocating for uh, PBM reform. And I've spoken personally twice now to the chair of the Federal Trade Commission. And it's not just me. Uh, I have a whole government affairs team here that's, that's lobbying. Practice would not advance if organizations like APHA uh, did not work for uh, with, with laws and, and federal agencies. That's, that's correct. And you talked about the PBM reform. And um, can you explain how the reform and payment is related to provider status and why that's even important too? Yeah, you know, I don't know that they're directly related, but I can make anything related. And, you know, so right now our, <laughs> our biggest problem is that our pharmacy practice model is unsustainable. Uh, it used to be, you know, 20 years ago, you could make enough money off of dispensing prescriptions so that you could have time to talk to my mom about her diabetes, right? Now, because PBM reforms have, have, have really made that not profitable, uh, there's plenty of money in the prescription drug benefit. The problem is it's going to third parties who really provide very little value. And they do that through things like DIR fees and spread pricing. Uh, you know, in Ohio, we showed uh, Antonio Chacha, who works with me here now, uh, with his data company, showed that PBM sucked off $244 million of spread from Ohio Medicaid in one year. That's money that Medicaid said, okay, here's all this money to, to, to help our patients with drugs. 
and they kept 244 million just in spread. So while that's not directly related to provider status, that is a huge barrier for sustainable practice. Now, having said that, that's still on sort of the old school model of dispensing drugs, which, which pharmacists, uh, you know, safely, you know, it's more than dispensing, right? When you do clinical work with that. Uh, so, you know, we're going to have to have pharmacists in community settings. That's a good thing for, for society, but we need to shift to payment for cognitive services. That's where being providers, and again, provider status means we're eligible providers on the Medicare, uh, the Social Security Act would list us, and then we could bill for our non-dispensing services. So while there are separate issues, PBMs and provider services are very related to making a sustainable practice so that we're incented to do the right things, to have these conversations, to use our education. Well, I appreciate all you're doing. I know it's not easy. Um, it's a lot, It sounds like a lot of work, um, but I know we talk about provider status for many years now, but it hasn't happened or maybe it has in some states, but not in every state. Do you really think we have a better chance this time around than before? That is a great question. And, you know, what I learned, because as you mentioned, uh, you know, before coming here, I, I'm not a association person. That's not my background. I've been a a health system pharmacist uh, throughout my career. And most recently I was chief pharmacy officer at Cleveland Clinic. And while there I was incredibly involved with the Ohio Pharmacy Association. And, uh, you know, I helped them uh, by leveraging the Cleveland Clinic as a you know, largest employer in the state uh, and other health system pharmacists to, to get a, a bill passed, uh, became a law that made us providers. So I saw the federal government. Now, I don't know if you've ever been up here to the world home of pharmacists, of pharmacy. I'm very spoiled. My office looks directly at the Lincoln Memorial. I can see the Capitol out my other window. But, you know, getting anything done there is, is very challenging. So we're trying, so it's a three-part strategy. Okay, it's federal. Okay, we'll talk about that, pass the law. But it's also 11 states, I believe, now have provider status and more are working on it. Um, and that's for Medicaid as opposed to Medicare. But then it's also working with private insurers. So it's three parts. It's federal law, state law, and working with private insurers to actually pay pharmacists uh, for those things. So, uh, that is, so there, you wow, know, I didn't realize what's, that. And what's different this time? Well, what's different this time is that society understands our value, I think, better than they ever have, Benaz. And why is that? It's because our pharmacists literally saved the world through immunizations, right? So we're seen as the frontline heroes. A lot of hospitals uh, didn't take, uh, you know, non-critical patients. Uh, physicians also were closed, but what? Guess what? Our pharmacists went to work. We lost some pharmacists in the pandemic. So we're, we're really attempting to leverage the fact that, that we have better visibility, I think, nationally than we ever have, and people see our value. Because otherwise, you know, in the next pandemic, if we don't have any community pharmacies because of an unsustainable model, you know, we're not going to be here to be the, the superheroes that we were. And the problem with that is, what have you done for me lately? You know, if we don't get something done this year, um, then people will forget about our, our valiant efforts. That's right. And they're very um, accessible. So, I mean, it'll, it'll be it'll behoove us not to use pharmacists in that sense, especially with the COVID. But I also know some people for the, the concept of advocacy may not be appealing for everyone in the pharmacy. So what inspired you to get involved in that journey? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I, I've just genetically always been involved. I think it's because of my mentor. So in my residency and master's degree in hospital pharmacy administration, Harold Godwin, 
uh, was the director of pharmacy at the University of Kansas, and he was incredibly involved in the profession. So I saw that, um, you know, as a, a resident. And then I've just always done it. I'm kind of genetically wired. You know, I got to Minnesota and I worked on some tech check tech stuff and, and uh, we, we did a lot of advocacy. I got to Cleveland Clinic. I had a bigger platform because Cleveland Clinic is, you know, one of the top health systems in the, in the world. And people, no one cares what Scott Kenora thinks, but a lot of people cared what the chief pharmacy officer at Cleveland Clinic uh, said. So I, I really leveraged that for good. I got very involved in the media related to egregious drug prices, drug shortages, and PBM reform. And because of that, uh, Benaz, a lot of, you know, I, I talk to students about leadership a lot. And I, uh, I always say there's, you know, there's a lot of things that are, uh, I guess, uh, universal truths, but two of them are, one, have a bias for yes. So when you get an opportunity, take advantage of it. And that's what happened when the Wall Street Journal called me the first time and asked me if uh, I'd seen increase in price of isoproterenol and uh, nitroprusside. And I think I told them, yeah, you know, if we spent the same amount because of the sole source generic price increases, we'd spend an extra $9 million in one year. And so I had a bias for yes. Before I was just complaining to my other pharmacy chief buddies about it, then I felt empowered. And then the second universal truth that follows that is success breeds success. So I was quoted in the Wall Street Journal, along with Aaron Fox, uh, my, my super good friend at the University of Utah, who is the drug shortage specialist in the world, uh, certainly in, in, in the US and maybe the world, uh, but then every other media uh, company called. And then um, you know another thing is life's about relationships. You have to understand that reporters have deadlines. If you are a good interviewee and you get them good data and some cool quotes, uh, you know, I coined the phrase oligopolies when we talk about the big PBMs, uh, I coined the term egregious drug prices, which, which you hear a lot about now. Uh, so those things resonate with reporters and you do a good job and they call on you again. So success breeds success. And that's why APHA called me. I wasn't looking for a job. I probably have the best job in the world for a chief pharmacy officer at a great organization. But the advocacy is what I enjoyed doing most. And when I had an opportunity to do this full time, I, I jumped on it. And we appreciate you for that. And I, I love your wording. You said genetically wired. So talk about genetics, um, exactly. you know, because this is a PGX podcast. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience around the topic of PGX, uh, especially when yeah. it comes to pharmacists getting involved in that avenue? Yeah, and that's great. So like almost everything I do, you know, I'm sort of a high level, big picture thinker, and I got to think about where we're going. And then my job has always been to hire really good people who understand the details. So I'm glad you're not, uh, you know, grilling me on SIP enzymes or anything, because that's not my specialty. But I that's, understood. That's coming. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I know we've got a DPYD issue then with, you know, with, with uh, Capsite of being in 5FU, we're gonna have problems. Can I sound smart? I just I just consulted them. That's awesome. That's okay, good. You you got it. Hands down. So, you know, about a decade ago, I, I hired uh, you may know him, uh, Kevin Hicks. He's at Moffitt now. So he trained at St. Jude's with my buddy James Hoffman, who does a lot of uh, uh, pharmacogenomics down there. He trained Kevin as a PharmD PhD, and we were talking about uh, you know a center for personalized medicine at Cleveland Clinic. So I, I, uh, James sent him to me. I still owe James a beer or something. Uh, he actually sent me two PharmD PhDs uh, because Kevin worked with us for a while. 
set up some really cool stuff, published a bunch of papers, and went off um, to Moffitt. And then I hired uh, Jennifer Hawking, who's currently the pharmacogenomics specialist at Cleveland Clinic. And I really, I did what I do, right? I hired good people to get out of their way. And Kevin started it, and then Jennifer set up a, uh, a counseling service. You know, they have both uh, geneticists, but they don't understand the drug part. So she would, you know, go and she does it every day. She, she counsels patients, interprets results, helps with dosing. But at the Cleveland Clinic, you know, I was responsible for, I don't know, 1,500 employee, pharmacy employees and a $1.4 billion drug budget. So we incorporated first Kevin and then Jennifer into the P&T committee, right? So they were the experts that said, okay, which drugs do we have to have a genetic test for? And, and then the other part of that is, is implementing it and building it into the electronic health record. So, you know, her and her physician specialists in the various areas got together and said, okay, this, this drug needs a test. And then they built that. I had a big informatics team. They would build that electronic health record, just kind of trying to make it all work together. Yeah, I think that's important to have it uh, embedded in the electronic health record because it makes a difference when you have someone's PGX report and actually able to use that when they have other medications or other clinicians to use that information. So that's great. I'm 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 glad you're gotten involved in that as well because I I you know this is um it's really key and PGX is going a lot of places with a lot of clinicians. Um so what do you think the pharmacy has learned from this uh pandemic or what have we learned about ourselves? Because I know you're out there with pharmacists all the time advocating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think the the biggest thing is we realized just how, uh, if we didn't know before, how important we are to the community and what a difference we can make. We've given hundreds of millions of dollars of doses of vaccines and, you know, and serve society when nothing was open, but, uh, you know, pharmacies, um, grocery stores, and well, maybe liquor stores, you know, uh, that they stayed open. But uh, outside of that, we were really, we were the only healthcare professionals out there. And I think we've got a more of a sense of self-confidence than we used to. I've always been very confident with, with pharmacy and the great things we can do, but I think a lot of us are, you know, tired of being underappreciated. And, uh, you know, we, we just uh, know what we can do. And I think it's driving us to, to really uh, push harder for, for advocacy and, and, you know, convincing both the government and payers. You know, but, you know, there are a lot of things, I'm, I'm sure you're going to ask me that, but, you know, I told you what I did at Cleveland Clinic and you're like, okay, well, what do you do in, in community pharmacy? Uh, but, Benaz, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the Tabula Rasa uh, program. I'm not, okay. no, I'm not, but I would love to learn oh, more. Yeah, so uh, Tabula Rasa, actually, uh, the, the past president of um, APHA uh, uh, founded the company. And I one of the things I like to do is get out of my uh, chair in Washington, D.C., beautiful chair, the only uh, privately owned building on the National Mall that I already talked and about. And probably a beautiful view. It is an incredible view. But, you know, I, I was able to go uh, kind of right before the Delta variant, uh, variant. I went out to a bunch of pharmacies and one of my board members, Randy McDonough in Iowa City, had heard about the program. And it's a, a program that, uh, you, you know, you, you put in, it's a community pharmacy program and you put in all the drugs folks are on and, and it does, you know, not just one drug interaction, but you got seven drugs. How do they all interact? And it, it makes recommendations. And, uh, and insurance companies, certain companies then, uh, they pay pharmacists uh, to, to do this. So it really puts pharmacists right into um, uh, frontline pharmacists 
using uh, software to help them with, with pharmacogenomics. You know, I guess another thing is just like with vaccines, right? There's a lot of misinformation out there. And I think some companies are, you know, selling stuff just to sell stuff. But, you know, pharmacists understand enzymes and we know drug metabolism. If we don't remember all of it, we can look it up pretty quick. And you that's know, a fact. Yeah, yeah. And then, so what kind of, uh, you know, what's evidence-based versus what's, you know, internet uh, whatever-based. So I think there's a huge role for our, our community pharmacies in, in helping patients. I'm sure you've seen this. I was watching the news last night and I thought about it because I had this podcast coming up. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend had done 23andMe. That was kind of interesting. Uh, she's got a, uh, uh, you know, I love cilantro and cilantro tastes like soap to her. <laughs> you confirm that there is a gene that does that, uh, you know, so it makes it more trouble when we go to Mexican restaurants. But they had, a, have you seen the, the pet program they've got now, pharmacogenomics for dogs? I have not. I didn't I know. I saw it was a commercial a thing. last night and it starts to got some cute puppies, but they're, you know. On 23andMe? It's, uh, they had something that was a cute name. I could Google it. It was like, Oh, I have to look that up. Yeah, but but uh, but they're often, and then you can tell. Okay, you got a mutt. What what kind of dog is it? And then does it have any genetic, you know, diseases or, or likeliness to have those sort of things? So I'm like, I'm like, wow. I thought I thought the the, the personalized tests for people were mainstream, and now they're doing it for dogs. Uh, and I wouldn't want to be the one to swap the dog's mouth, but you know, still. <laughs> I thought uh, that's interesting marketing. Now, you know, I can, never, I can never do one of those uh, pharmacogenomics tests personally. I'd like to, but because that's how they catch all the serial killers. And with my serial killer background, I can't do that because then they would. Oh my me. goodness, that's yeah. hilarious. So, are you trying to say you have not done a PGX test on I, yourself? I, have, Is that I, have, okay. I need to, right? I need to, yeah. Yeah, you do. Because yes. otherwise, they're going to get it from my kids, right? One of them's going to drop a cigarette butt and they're going to test the DNA and they're going to catch me for serial killing anyway. So, I might as well just do it myself. <laughs> That's awesome. But um, I'm not really a serial killer. I was just kidding. I know that we wouldn't have you on the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. That would be a whole different podcast. You know, right. For, for that. Um, so what do you think pharmacy or pharmacy students who are listening um, that they can do to ad- advance our profession, especially you know, the students, that's right? That's a great question. And we just had a uh, virtual fly-in and that's the kind of stuff we could do. We had some pharmacy students do that. So usually we'd have a fly-in and they go meet with their members of Congress, but of course we can't do that right now because uh, the world's still virtual. So we set up uh, appointments with their legislators from whatever state. um, And uh, a lot of our pharmacists, including pharmacy students, were able to participate. That didn't cost anything. And uh, they, you know, we we prepped them, right? We gave them, you know, here's the the bills that wanted to come law. Here's the talking points, why why pharmacy needs the provider status. Uh, And then they spoke with their legislators. Uh, a lot of pharmacy schools, I don't know, Banaz, if you ever did a, 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 a legislative day, what state, where did you go to pharmacy school? Um, I did the online program, actually, at Creighton University. But oh, I, I'm in- a, I did my undergrad at Creighton. I have a psychology degree from 1988. Ah, yeah. Good school, good school. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but a lot of states like Ohio, you know, every pharmacy school buses their students to legislate. They do it when there's not a pandemic. And we flood the place with white coats because there's usually state laws that we're trying to pass. So I think those are two really good ways to get involved uh, as students. And obviously, you know, joining APHA, uh, there are a lot of a lot of things the local chapters do. Uh, but I would say the other thing that's easy is we have software where we do a push every once in a while where we got to 
get legislators' attention. And you can go in our website, log in, punch in your address. It'll automatically send uh, emails to your legislators. Um, uh, you can personalize them. It's always better personalized, but anything's better than nothing because you know people say, oh, it's just spam. They don't listen. They do. The more emails they get about things, they, they say, oh, this is an issue and I should pay attention. So th those are certainly some of the things that, that students um, and, and new practitioners can do that they don't cost a lot of money. Now, it does cost money if you do a real fly and you have to fly here, but virtual fly-ins don't. Virtual fly-in, I like that. I don't think I've heard of it, heard of it that way before. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I appreciate that. Uh, and um, how can pharmacists reach out to you? I know you're probably everywhere on social media because of what you do, but um, is there a specific place they can reach out to you for questions? Or... Yeah, that's great. And a lot of people do reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm certainly there, uh, uh, you know, Facebook Messenger. Uh, but LinkedIn, anyone can have access to that. And I have, I think that's how you reached out to me, wasn't it? That's correct. That's yeah. Correct. You're not the first, and you probably won't be the last. Uh, you know. I hope not. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I try. Uh, you know, I get a lot of stuff that's not so legitimate. People want to sell me masks, uh, N95 respirators from China. A lot of those that when when the when the pandemic first came out. But well, we can make you a personalized one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But so, but legitimate pharmacists and students, I I always reply. It may take me a couple of days, but that's probably the easiest way. Uh, to do that. Okay. Well, a couple of days, not a long, a lot of time knowing all the things you do. So we, we appreciate that. Um, well, thank you, Dr. Knorr for coming on the show and educating us. Um, one of the, on the, one of the most important aspects of our pharmacy profession, which is really the provider status, which we need to be able to, you know, order our own PGX testing, which goes a long way in making uh, things possible actually to better help our patients in the long run. Um, I want you to know that not only myself, but I speak from all pharmacists out there that we appreciate all you do in advocating for our profession. We really do. Well, I hope to see you and all your friends in San Antonio for our annual meeting, hopefully. <laughs> We won't have an epsilon variant or something, uh, but definitely the first large scale pharmacy meeting uh, in uh, March. I think it's 22nd around there of, of next year. And also a little shout out. Uh, thank you for what you do with the podcast. And uh, I love uh, Pharmacy Podcast Network, all kinds of incredible programming. So uh, thank you. And thanks, uh, Todd Yuri at the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And uh uh, I, I really appreciate how you guys get the voice of pharmacy out. And this broadcast is the first one I've done with you, but that's super fun, Benaz. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's from because of uh, special guests like you that come on the show that makes it possible. We appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Make sure you don't miss any episodes. Don't forget to share this link to everyone so they can tune in and listen to PGX for Promises podcast on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. There's no other place for all your PGX needs. We do a lot of PGXing on here. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit PGX4RX.com. That's PGX4RX.com.